Hey everyone, before we get started with this episode, I just wanted to give you a heads up. The sound quality is a little off on this one. There were some issues with uh, the microphone uh, for my guest, Chantel McGregor. It's not her fault. We really couldn't pinpoint where it was coming from, but there was a little white noise when she talks. So I just wanted you to be aware. I think that it's still okay, but it's not as good as it normally sounds, and uh, and, and obviously I would like it to sound even better, but uh, that's a, a problem for another day when I have some money to buy some new equipment. But in the meantime, uh, hopefully that won't sap your enjoyment of this interview with Chantel McGregor. She was fantastic, and I apologize in advance for the audio not being up to uh, at least the usual standards, if not actual professional standards. But anyway, uh, here's this week's episode, and I hope you enjoy it, despite a little bit of white noise uh, whenever Chantel is talking. Thanks, guys. Hello, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, episode number 34. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and today... I want to introduce you to an outstanding young singer-songwriter from the UK. Her name is Chantelle McGregor. She's recently released two albums of mostly cover songs, a couple originals, called Shed Sessions Volume 1 and Volume 2. Before I get to the interview, I want to remind you that you can follow Michael's Record Collection on Twitter, at Mike's Records, and it's Michael's Record Collection on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Please give the show a follow on your favorite social network. And check out michaelsrecordcollection.com for more information and to sign up for the newsletter for free. Now let's get to that interview with Chantel McGregor. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I am here today with uh, Chantel McGregor. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I wanted to start out by uh, asking you, you've you've got these two new albums uh, that have come out this summer, uh, the Shed Sessions, Volumes 1 and 2. And I want to just kind of take me through, you know, what what led to these releases. And and also they were released a month apart. I just was curious as to how that came to be, where you where you would release one and then another, rather than some would, would put it all out at once, some would maybe spread it out more. Um, <laughs> it's probably just because I'm absolutely nuts. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, there was there was a rationale in in there somewhere. Um, basically, the shed sessions came about because over here in lockdown, it sort of started obviously at the start of the pandemic, and obviously gigs were cancelled, people couldn't go out, and I was like, oh, what can I do to try and cheer people up a little bit and kind of still give them live music and keep in touch with fans and stuff like that. So I thought, right, I'll do a live stream. Um, did one and then sort of did another one the week after. And it just carried on from there um, every single week for over a year, <laughs> every Saturday <laughs> at five o'clock. Um, I think it went on about, it was about 15 months I did. And uh, yeah, every single week. I think I missed one for Boxing Day and that was it. <laughs> wow. So it was really good for keeping in touch with fans and keeping them in touch with each other as well and making new social connections and stuff. It was really, really good. And yeah, so this, everybody was sort of saying, why don't you do an album of the songs that you've been doing and, you know, re-record it properly and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay then. So the first half of the pandemic, I was up north in Bradford, my hometown, and that was just me and an acoustic guitar. And then in the June, I moved down to Cambridge um, and my boyfriend, who's like an amazing keyboard player, 
Um, it meant I could do more electric things, um, mm -hmm. so more widdly guitar stuff and that sort of thing. So I just kind of said, right, they, they're so different, the two different things. It wouldn't work as one album because they're just so completely separate. Um, so that's why I thought two albums. And then I was like, oh, it's nearly the end of the pandemic. <laughs> Lockdown's listening. <laughs> I need to get these things out. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of like, right, I better put one out. And then it was like, oh, yeah, everybody's kind of going back to work and going back to the shops and the pubs. Better put the other one out then. Um, that's why it was a month apart. <laughs> so these songs were chosen, were some of these were uh, suggested by, by listeners and some were your choices, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Some of these, what I think struck me about these two releases is that there were there were some obvious, uh, like especially with the acoustic album, the acoustic guitar album, there were some obvious choices, some James Taylor, stuff like that. And there were a few that were not so obvious and I was, I think that really stood out to me. Like, I, how would how did you reimagine uh, Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer, for example, as as an acoustic, you know, solo song? <laughs> you could have a steam train if you just lay down your tracks. You could have an airplane flying. If you'll bring your blue sky back, all you do is call me. I'll be anything you need. You could have a. Um, I have no... <laughs> it's just one of those things I like to do. Um, it's same like with the Metallica song. It's you know, I just kind of listen to things and think, oh, that would really work if you strip it back. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's probably like the art of a good song is if you can strip it back to an acoustic guitar and a vocal and it still works and stands up, then you know it's a good song. Um, so to me, it was like, you know, obviously Sledgehammer is an amazing song. Um, and I was like, actually, there is something in this that we could, you know, make this work. Um, so, yeah, we're just kind of inspired to do that. Yeah, another one of the less obvious choices was Voodoo Child. That I think really shows off your ability with the guitar. I, how long did it take to to come up with that? And and what kind of, I guess, I'm not a guitar player. I have a guitar. I would not call myself a guitar player. Uh, you know, just what went into creating the music for that particular track? I've kind of played that for a while at shows and things. Because mm -hmm. um, I sometimes do acoustic shows over in the UK. And um, sort of... <laughs> Basically, it was one of those things of, I'd never played it, and then my dad, I think, shouted out, do Voodoo Child or something. And I was like, this is going to sound awful, because it's, it's not an acoustic song, it's going to sound terrible. And I did it, and everybody was like, this is great, this is amazing. And I was like, this is awful. 
But everybody really liked it. I don't think it's such a great version. But everybody loves that version. So, I've, I, you know, everybody says, oh, we want this on the album. You've got to put it on. So so I put it on. But personally, I don't think it's that great. So, but. <laughs> that's, I think that's what's great about music is that um, even when the artist is not necessarily uh, the, that's not their proudest moment. Um, sometimes that's the, those are the ones that the fans really enjoy. It's like a happy accident. But that's why I asked you the questions because it sounds like you worked for quite some time on those licks and 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 getting that right. And it sounds very complicated. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. <laughs> I did because I, I kind of wanted to craft it a little bit so it wasn't just like you know the album version and stuff like that. You know the original. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make it a little bit different. Um, and obviously playing it on acoustic, that is totally different, but just kind of making it a little bit more my own than just doing a straight cover as well. Cause you know, it's so easy to just do straight covers of things and you just think actually it's, you know, you've got to make it your own and put your own stamp on things. Right. take you back a little ways and ask you about how did music start for you how did the guitar start for you where did you where did you get interested in it and and was guitar the the starting point or did you start on piano or how did that work that's also my dad's fault Another <laughs> <laughs> thing for blaming him. um yeah he used to play guitar when i was like a tiny baby and i used to as soon as i could walk i'd sort of toddle over to him and detune his guitar or put dints in his guitar and things <laughs> So he was like, yeah, we need to get her a guitar. So at three, they got me a half size. Um, I did have like a monophonic keyboard from being, I think, nine months old. So I could get the notes into my head and things. Um, but yeah, started guitar at three. And dad sort of gave me a little bit of tuition. And then I got proper lessons at seven. And it just went from there. When did you realize that you had a, a real talent for, for the instrument? I don't think I have yet. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's just something I have always enjoyed uh, more than more than a thing of going oh I'm good at this or or anything it's just more something that I've always enjoyed and mm -hmm. you know obviously you've got to have a bit of confidence to get on stage and do it but I always kind of think there's going to be people out there that can do everything better than you so just do your best and enjoy it and hopefully people enjoy listening yeah it's just interesting to me because I, I always wonder you know what is the point where people realize that you know, not everybody can do this thing that I'm doing. And and certainly you, you do some things that a lot of people can't do. And I imagine that at some point, um, you know, you're a young woman. I imagine that at some point there has been somebody who has sort of scoffed at, at, at seeing you walk in and tune up your guitar and, and get ready to play. And, and I just wondered if you had any good stories about a time that you kind of made people shut up and listen. So many. <laughs> um, it's it's one of those things of being a female guitarist in a kind of man's world essentially which it is you know rock guitar is kind of mainly men that's always been kind of a tricky thing and you know you still get the patronizing ones who go do you know what a plectrum is or 
you know, this amp, this is the treble and the middle and the bass. And again, that'll make it a bit more distorted. And it's like, yeah, no. But you still get that. Um, don't matter, if, you know, how long you've been playing or what you've done. You still get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it used to really, really bother me. But now I just go, well, this is what I can play. And then they go, oh. And they get a bit put out and then they ignore me. fine. <laughs> it's not my problem. That's their problem. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Do you recall, like, what the first song was that you sort of really latched onto as a kid? Um, I was into loads of different things as a kid. Um, so I was into obviously what my parents were playing and things. So they were playing like a lot of Fleetwood Mac, Led Zeppelin, um, Black Sabbath, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, I remember my mum had this like tape in the car that was like pure soft metal it was called and it was like a compilation. And it had like Mr. Big on it and, you know, Richie Cotson and stuff like that. And I was like about four year old going, oh, can we have Mr. Big on again, please? And, you know, so I was always into that kind of thing as a kid. Um, so probably like just that sort of thing, that sort of music, rather than just one song or one band. Mm-hmm. I just did so much music. I just sort of loved it and immersed myself all the time in it. Mm-hmm. Have there, has there been an album that's sort of stuck with you through the years? I know you... You mentioned Fleetwood Mac. You've you've done several Fleetwood Mac covers in your career. Um, is that one that that sticks out to you? Yeah, I guess you know everybody says Rumors because um, <laughs> it is. It's just such an iconic album. Um, yeah. But there's there's quite a few. I mean, like Jeff Buckley's Grace. That's always one that I always come back to and go, oh, this is incredible. Chris Whitley, you know his album Living with the Law. It's just like something that I always come back to and go. This is just perfection. It's so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, probably those three. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. Just can't remember who to send it to Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see again so shed sessions volume one is you and acoustic guitar shed sessions two is there's more piano and there's some electric guitar as well and some acoustic guitar Uh, what i found interesting was reading about your approach to recording the vocals for this album could you tell us a little bit about that process because i understand it involves a wardrobe (laughs) <laughs> it, oh it was oh it was hell <laughs> basically i mean these these two albums well the first one it was recorded like twice i think because i did it once messed with it and edited it and it just sounded too kind of perfect too polished so i scrapped that redid it all again and basically just went in the bedroom and recorded like guitar and vocals at the same time um mike the guitar di'd it and one mic for the vocals and uh came to send it all over to Wayne, who was producing it, and went, I don't like the vocal sound. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the mic's not right. It's picking the guitar up. I'm not happy with this. 
So we he'd edited like I think there's twelve on there and he'd edited eleven of them and mixed them and I was going, Oh there's this bit that I just don't like on each bit and oh. so it got to the last one and I said, Can I just re-sing it with a proper like decent studio mic and in a sort of soundproofed area? <laughs> and he was like, Go on then just do it. So I did it. I sent it him and it sounded like just so much better. So I was like, right, can I redo the other eleven as well, please? So redid all that and the wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, um, it, obviously because of the pandemic, I couldn't gig, so I couldn't earn. So I'd been doing a little bit of um, voiceover work, um, which obviously needed soundproofing. And I didn't have a studio down here. So all I did was uh, went in the wardrobe with the microphone, set it all up on like a board thing where the where your jeans and your trousers go. There's like these like rails that you can put your jeans on. Mm -hmm. So I put a big whiteboard on that, covered it and soundproofed it. All the clothes in the wardrobe soundproofed the wardrobe. And I re-sung the whole thing in there. And uh, yeah, so I sang in a wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> See, now in the United States, we don't really use that word very often, wardrobe. And we get this picture in our head of you crawling into like this cabinet, like on, uh, you know, the C.S. Lewis, uh, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe thing. Is that how it was, or it was more like what we call a closet? Um, it's probably more of a closet. Yeah, I never got to Narnia. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Sometimes you don't come back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, th that that thing that it kind of stood out on the uh, on the press release talking about uh, doing it in the wardrobe. Uh, what mic did you use? You talked about using a, a good studio mic. Yeah, it was a blue woodpecker. Okay. Uh, a lovely, lovely warm condenser um just yeah it's a lovely mic it works really well for my voice i like it at the risk of confusing uh my listeners to the podcast version of this who's this creature behind you that i see <laughs> that's oh it's this way uh that's raven my cat who <laughs> held up there about 30 seconds before you connected and i was like oh no what am i gonna do oh. but she's <laughs> really good and she's not actually clawed me so i'm quite happy she's fine there <laughs> It's good. It's always nice to have guests. I just had um, uh, Mike Cannell from the Cannells uh, recently, and his dog made an appearance. So, <laughs> <laughs> audio and video. <laughs> One thing that drew me to volume two is that I noticed right away in, the, in reading the track listing, I'm a big progressive rock uh, fan, and I noticed the Stephen Wilson songs right away. Yeah. And I was curious as to you know how, how Stephen Wilson's music came across 
you know, how you cross paths with it and, and how you gravitated to it. And, you know, like what your what is the extent of your fandom of Stephen Wilson? Massive. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely adored his music for donkey years. Um, back to the porcupine tree stuff. I just love it. You know, things like open car and arriving somewhere and all that stuff. It's just absolutely phenomenal. Um, so I'm a massive, massive Stephen Wilson fan. Um, and obviously when he put out the album, The Raven That Refused to Sing, I, I was just like, this is the best album ever made. It is, it's one of those albums where, I mean, the guitar playing on it by Guthrie Govan's just like, <laughs> it's just out of this world. So I never thought I could tackle those songs. And Jamie was like the keyboard player who was like, you know, why don't you just give it a go and just see if, how it sounds on it. We'll learn it for a shed session and see how it goes. So we did the Raven that refused to sing first. And I was like, actually, this kind of works, you know, as a, you know, there's no bass, there's no drums, but we can make this work. It's something mm -hmm. different. And then everybody was like, why don't you do Drive Home? And I'm going, because I can't play that guitar solo at the end. <laughs> it, you know, there's, you just don't try and play the Drive Home guitar solo at the end if you're in your right mind, because nobody's ever going to do it as well as Guthrie. And then I was like, do you know what? I'm going to give it a go and see how I can do it. And it's, you know, it won't be as good as Guthrie, but I'll put my own stamp on it. And, you know, it'll be my interpretation of it rather than a copy of it. And... And I did, and it sounded all right. So I did it on Shed, and people loved it and said, you've got to put this on the album. So, yeah, so a couple of Stephen Wilson songs. But, yeah, I've, I've been to see him quite a few times, like at the Albert Hall in London and things. And, oh, it's just so good. It's just incredible. Yeah, it's it's a shame that he's not more widely known here in the States. But um, he's, I think it's slowly coming along. But I think a lot of fans here are not really happy with the future bites although i find that most of it is great i don't know where you stand on it i love it um i mean a lot of people over here are not big fans of the future <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a new direction <laughs> it is but then there's been things you know when you look at like the previous albums and they were putting out things like permanating and things everybody criticized it and says you know what's this song it's like abba you know this in the stephen wilson thing and that was kind of like the next thing after the Raven album, which was just like incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody's going, what is this? It's terrible. It's pop music. And he's been on, you know, over here he was on like the um, like the morning news or something, which was massive for him um, because he's not really had that sort of commercial, you know, breakthroughs and things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, everybody, uh, everybody criticized it. But I thought it was fun. <laughs> fun song to dance to, you know. <laughs> I like permanating and, and I think he would take it as a compliment to say it sounds like ABBA because he loves ABBA. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think that's the thing for me about music as well. It's like, you know, progressive music, you know, it gets a lot of people that are like, no, unless it's, you know, King Crimson and it's got time displacement and it's got, you know, weird modal stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. And we're not going to accept it because it doesn't fit into our little imagination of what prog is. And to me, it's like, well, that just think of the word progressive yeah it's got to progress it's got to change it's got to evolve um and that's all stephen wilson's doing is you know he's he's pulling different inspirations from different places and turning it into what he thinks is prog and that's you know to me that is what prog is because it's evolving yeah I, I i think he's a fantastic artist and i mean you may not follow an artist on every section of their journey but i think that's fine i mean it's ultimately the artist has to do what they feel is right for them and, and what they're interested in and what they find exciting and if they're not finding it exciting 
you're probably not going to find it as exciting as a listener either because it's going to come through exactly that's the thing they've got to enjoy it because if not they're stood on stage playing and going through the motions and they've no belief in what they're doing so what's the point yeah so one of the songs that stood out to me too was your cover of foolish games by jewel and the reason it stood out was because at times in that song you sound just like her you've been i mean is that did, did you did you you sung it pretty close to you know faithful to the original yeah did you realize that you're i mean she just happens to have the same kind of vocal tones as you or um i think that probably stems from when i was first starting to like sing because i i sort of started at jam sessions and things when i was 12 and at that time i wasn't really playing electric guitar i was just kind of doing well i was playing electric but i wouldn't do it in public and I was like right well how am I going to get up and play if I can't sing so I better learn to sing so I was singing along to things like you know lots and lots of Jewel, lots of Cheryl Crow, um, Bonnie Raitt, that sort of thing to try and just learn how to sing really learn the techniques and the sounds and the tones and things of how to how to get sort of a I don't know not sound like a 12 year old and sound a bit more of a rich kind of quality voice Mm -hmm. um, and I was, I've been a massive Jewel fan since I was like a kid. Um, so I guess it just kind of filters into how you phrase things and how you tonally sound a little bit. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. You know, do you have plans in the works for an, another album of originals? Yeah, absolutely. So this, well, <laughs> before the pandemic, I was doing um, an acoustic kind of alternative arrangements album of some of my originals, which was like, taking some of my songs from the first and second album and then turning them with weird instruments into like bluegrass versions and really weird stuff with percussion and banjos and all sorts of strange things. Um, so I was doing that and that's mostly recorded. So that was going to come out, um, but obviously pandemic, couldn't go in the studio anymore and couldn't see the band. So that's kind of not shelved, but it will get finished at some point. But also I'm writing the originals for the next studio album. Um, which, yeah, so that's that's on the way and that'll be with the band. Or I assume it'll be with the band anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you need to clear away All the jetsam in your brain And face the truth The darkness always ends You're still alone So drive home
it's interesting because I've I've spoken to probably I don't know three or four other artists who have all put out covers albums during this pandemic, and it seems like this is the the pandemic of cover songs. Uh, nobody wants to waste their original stuff until they can go out and play it. And is that something that's been a consideration for you, not not having been able to do live gigs? Yeah, absolutely. And also the getting into a studio thing, because, you know, for me, it's like to do an originals album. I, you know, I want to be in a studio. I want to do it properly with the producer and work on backing vocals and stuff like this. And mm -hmm. to do that, just sat in the house in a wardrobe, <laughs> you kind of don't get you don't get the whole thing of, you know, how it would be in a studio i mean you can you can kind of emulate it but it's not it's not the same and it literally is that is you know i don't want to waste putting out an album of originals that i've sung in a wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> i hear you i hear you so we just warned people not to put stephen wilson in a box so i'm going to ask you to put yourself in a box now anyway and ask you what you know how would you categorize yourself as a as an artist do you think of yourself as a, a folk singer do you think of yourself as a rock artist uh, you know what what do you how would you describe your music to somebody who's never heard your music before um it's really complex because i've always kind of been pigeonholed a little bit into the blues category mm -hmm. but i'm not blues i've never really been blues but because i play electric guitar and the solos in my music people go it must be blues um I mean, there's blues influences, there's progressive influences, but then I like to do acoustic. Um, so there's folk and country influences. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's a real mishmash of blues, rock, folk, prog, country, acoustic singer-songwriter, you know, a bit of everything, a bit of grunge in there as well with my band stuff. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's kind of riffy and grungy. Is there an artist that you would say... If you like this person, you would like my music. Or is it just too all over the place to make that decision? <laughs> uh, probably things like Stephen Wilson, actually, because he's kind of got that sort of eclectic mix of the acoustic stuff and then the really noisy stuff and the guitar solo stuff. So that's probably the closest. Yeah. One of the songs that you covered was Radiohead's Creep. before Couldn't look you in the eye You're just like an angel Your skin makes me cry You float like a feather In a beautiful Wish I was special You're so very special But I'm a creep I'm a weirdo What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong You managed to take this song and make it very haunting and and very fragile in a way. And I was curious too as to 
you made the conscious decision to sing the clean version. Yeah. Um, what went into making that decision? And did you consider doing the, the non-clean version? No. <laughs> it's, it's one of those difficult things because when we were doing the shed session, there were a lot of younger people watching. So, mm -hmm. you know, kids had watched with the parents and stuff. Um, and I've always been really, really conscious of that. Like at shows, we don't have bad language on stage. Shed session, there's no bad language. You know, even when you break a string, there's still no swears. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think, you know, it, for me, it's like, maybe it's a bit of a strategic decision as well, because also you want these kids to get into you while they're young so that they grow with your music and they're buying it when they're 20. And I think if you make it so that you're, albums are full of swear words and stuff you're immediately removing that section of that age group to me it's just silly because it's like well you know yeah sometimes swear words do have a bit more effect but then also people don't also want to hear that sometimes mm -hmm. so um for me it's just a case of it it didn't cross my mind as to plus my mum would have probably killed me as well <laughs> yeah and i like as as a parent i wouldn't play that in the car when my when my daughter was in the car kind of thing so yeah you, you're you are limiting your audience somewhat and, and handcuffing yourself a little bit but i think too the the decision to have it be the clean version plays into how just um you know sort of fragile and and delicate and and all those things that that your version is i, I find it a, just a, an incredibly beautiful version oh thank you very much I, I wanted to convey literally how you've said it as a haunting kind of delicate broken version um mm -hmm. a little bit twisted because the second album it kind of for me it it feels more of a concise album where the whole theme is sort of a little bit fragile and a little bit you know mm -hmm. damaged and a little bit twisty um and quite dark you know and emotional um so creep that's why i opened with creep because i was like this is how the album should feel um hopefully it carries through all the other songs too yeah radiohead's version comes off as a bit um mopey a bit sad sacky whereas you like you said yours yours is haunting and and you do have that vibe throughout the uh, throughout the record you've got um you've got an ella fitzgerald song on there you've got um tori amos on there and uh alanis's uninvited so it does have that sort of darkness throughout that that album and it's and yet you know with with only a few instruments and, and your vocals it's not a heavy album no um for me that was the weird thing because obviously you know the band well the live album is is heavy and lose control the previous studio album was heavy um and it was like right how can i make this sound dark but without it sounding heavy without the instrumentation of having strings or you know, mm -hmm. loads of different instruments, because basically I, d I also wanted to recreate how it sounds on a shed session, mm -hmm. um, you know, which obviously there were a few little overdubs where I could put a bit of acoustic guitar to pad things out a bit. But, you know, for me, it was like, well, there's no point making an album that sounds nothing like the shed session, because th what's the point? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's what it's meant to be. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a bit of a challenge as to how to make it sound big, but without it sounding a mess or without it sounding too far from the live versions of things yeah i think that having that darkness without the weight of it being heavy is probably as stephen wilson of a of a concept as you get yeah yeah mm. and it makes it more of a challenge as well i mean you know things like uninvited i mean that's a really really dark song it's really 
it's quite a creepy song really mm-hmm. um you know and for me it was like right well the that's as heavy as it's probably going to get um you know with the ending with the distorted guitar and stuff and it's like well how do you build this when all you've got is a piano um and an electric guitar playing at the same time but hopefully it worked yeah. <laughs> I think it works really well. Um, these two albums are available now. Where is the best place for you, where you benefit the most, for people to buy these uh, Shed Sessions CDs? Uh, both from my website, which is chantelmcgregor.com. Okay. And where can people find you on social media? Uh, I've got Facebook. So if you just pop my name into Facebook, it's um, it's there. It's spelled C-H-A-N-T-E-L McGregor. Um, and also Instagram, Twitter, um, everything basically, apart from TikTok, because I just don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think if you uh, if you just play some Fleetwood Mac, I think you just go viral. I think that's how it works on TikTok. Well, maybe I should do that then. <laughs> Be skateboarding and drinking some milk or orange juice or something and, and playing some Fleetwood Mac. What's next for Chantel McGregor? What's what's the next big project? What's going on? You, are you hitting the road? Yeah, absolutely. So now shows can happen again. I'm back out on the road. Um, so the back end of the year is quite busy, which is fantastic. Um, after about 18 months of having pretty much no gigs, it's it's lovely to be back out playing. Um, so yeah, that's mainly the thing is doing that and then finish writing the album. And then hopefully next year, it'll be in the studio and get another album out. Yeah. The folks on this side of the pond uh, haven't haven't gotten to know you that well yet. And I know that the, the work visas for musicians are cost prohibitive. Do you foresee any any opportunities to get over here and do some shows? I mean, I'd, I'd absolutely love to come there and play shows, um, but it's the viability of it. Um, I think partly the problem is because I'm an independent artist it's like there's not a big record company that can pay for the really expensive visas and mm-hmm. everything like that. So it's literally down to, you know, can I afford to do this? Um, and it just is so expensive for visas and everything like that. And, you know, the costs of actually getting there, moving around the country, paying for a band to be there and things, it's it's crazy money. I mean, we're kind of now in that position as well, going to Europe. So that's maybe not going to happen very soon either because now the visas and the carnets and everything for that are crazy money. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's it's one of those things. Um, hopefully at some point we will come over the pond and and put a tour together and come and see see y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chantel McGregor, you've been, you've been fantastic. I've enjoyed your uh, just having this chat with you about the Shed Sessions records. I think they're terrific. There's some surprises on them. There's some songs that probably are a little less surprising when you when you hear a Joni Mitchell song or a 
a James Taylor song or a, you know, a jewel or something like that. You tackle Metallica. So close, no matter how far It couldn't be much more from the heart Forever trusting who we are And nothing else matters Tackle you know, Stephen Wilson, you, you you do some fantastic covers of these. The, the Peter Gabriel cover is going to be in my rotation for a while because it's such a different take on Sledgehammer. And I've enjoyed your time, and, and I wish you the best of luck with, with both of these. I, I hope they do very well for you. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media at Mike's Records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. <laughs>